This is the Five Point Plate Podcast. The Die Hard Superfast. Wait, wait, time out, AC. The Die Hard <laughs> New Orleans Tension <laughs> Devil Podcast. AC, we have so many Duke players in New Orleans. Oh, man. For sale. I hope that you have as well. I'm moving. I'm moving to the Big Easy. I am hey. ready to go to New Orleans. You, you need a roommate? <laughs> uh, I, I think your wife's going to leave you when you tell her that you're moving the family to Correct. New Orleans. I will need a roommate. We're, we're buying season tickets yeah. to, uh, to the Pelicans if there are any left whatsoever. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's kick off with, with some Duke news, which is Independence Day, July 4th. Huge Duke mm-hmm. pickup. Jalen Johnson. Talk about him and what this means for Duke. Well, I'm kind of mad at him because it it would have been nice to be able to have our emergency podcast, except for he does it on the 4th of July when everybody is sauced and traveling and nowhere near a computer to be able to do this kind of podcast. So I'm kind of mad at Jalen for doing what he did. Yeah, you didn't want me on the emergency podcast. It would have sounded something similar to me, but yes, uh, you know, we had a good time on the 4th of July, but we we already have uh, our point guard Jeremy Roach mm-hmm. locked up. I know you love him. We've talked a lot about uh, Jalen Johnson. What does this mean for not only the player that he's going to be for Duke, but where does it leave us with you know Boston, Kessler, Williams? Does it have any effect on those guys? Is it nice to just see that you know Johnson is 100% committed to us now and should open some more floodgates? Yeah, I mean, it, it, what we now have is our, our second point guard on top of a, a, a dynamite, dynamic scoring threat who, you know, so cliche to say he scores on all three levels, but that's exactly what he does. He he gets to the rim with ease. His handle is spectacular for somebody who's 6'9". He kind of likens himself to Ben Simmons and LeBron James, like not, you know, not in terms of comparison's sake, just in terms of he likes to play the game the way those two play and with his size and everything else, why not? Those guys are making multi-million and almost a billion dollars for LeBron in his case. So, you know, why why not patting yourself after someone like that? But he's he just he does it all, man. He is he is so good at the game of basketball. It's really sick. And I, you know, RJ Bear has been one of my favorite recruits in the past ten years. And and he's Jalen could be better. He could be better. We'll see how it turns right. out. Hopefully, there's no injuries or anything like that. He could be better with the skill level he has, with the way he hits shots with the way he dribbles the ball. I mean, his, his talent level, man, is it's, it's unbelievable The the things he does on the quarter on, he, he rebounds at a, at a very good rate for someone who t- primarily plays on the perimeter. He, he shoots the ball off the move better than he does from the standstill. So that's going to be an area of his game that you're going to see him, you know, work to, to make better, especially, you know, Jay Billis and coach K talking about the standstill three for, for two and a half months last year before the season even started. So the standstill three is going to be something he's going to have to kind of work into his game. But he's he's got the mentality. He's got that dog in him. Like it, he's not a player that you have to coax into wanting the ball in in key situations. Like the, the dude is good, man. He he's flat out good. I not that recruiting rankings mean a, a damn thing, but right now he's like the fourth rated recruit in the class, and I, I very easily see him moving to number one after the summer's over especially wow. once Peach Jam and some of the EYBL events finish. So we, we got a second point guard. Jamie Roach is the main main guard. He Jalen Johnson's also going to come in when he gets the ball. It's like it's just like giving it to another point guard in the sense of his mentality is, let me see who I can get an open shot for, and if nobody's open, I'm going to take it. Like, he's, he's so good with that. He's so savvy with that. And, and saying that he may be better than R.J. Barrett, let's not forget that R.J. Barrett was a consensus first-team All-American. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. If, if, if that's the case, then we're in for, for a treat. You already talked about potentially, you know, one area that he needs to work on are those standstill threes. Mm-hmm. Defensively, kind of break the down for us. What kind he's, of player he, is he on the defensive end? Yeah, no, he's a good defender. He's not a he's not a bad def- defender, and he's willing. Like, it's it's kind of the same – I, I would kind of put him in the same mold as maybe maybe Cam in terms of, you know, he has all the measurables to be a good defender. He has he has the skill set and the athleticism to be a good defender and he's willing like so, you know, you know he's not he's not the cerebral def- defender that Trey is. But by all means, he's you're not going to put him on the floor and say he's a liability like that's not even close to what he is. He's in, in my opinion, he's close to what Cam gave us on the defensive end and. And he'll do that. He's, he's so he loves the game so much 
he that kid loves the game. Like you'll you'll see it. It's it's almost almost as infectious as what Zion gave us in terms of just how much he wow. loved the game and how much passing he played with Jalen. He plays. He's stoic. He's kind of like he's he's very stoic in how he he approaches things. But when he plays, like he's he's so he loves the game so much. He just does everything on the court because he just loves playing basketball. Well, then you just named the pan defensively, the the energy <laughs> of Zion, and that he may be better than RJ. So no yeah. pressure, Jalen. But none, none. Uh, where does that put us? Where does that put us? Does it affect it at all with 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 PJ Boston? It shouldn't. It should make him happy. It should make him. And and we started to see his name creep back with Duke, yep. which maybe it never should have left in the first place. And even I kind of fell into that trap a little bit of feeling like he was, you know, totally moving away from Duke. But, you know, with with the new news that Cade Cunningham's brother's been hired by Oklahoma State, who knows how that affects things right now. Everybody feels like that makes him 100% to Oklahoma State. In my opinion, it doesn't. But obviously it has it does have ramifications to it. So kids from Texas, maybe he wants to stay at home, play underneath his brother. Fine. You know, do your thing, man. He's only going to be in college for one year anyway, so might as well make the best of it with family. But, you know, if it's a brand thing, if it's something that he wants to make, you know, he wants to be a professional about it, then I think he's going to end up going with Duke. But that's the main competition for B.J. Boston because Jalen Johnson would make his life so much easier. Like the way he sees the floor and things and, and the attention he's going to draw, is just going to make B.J. Boston's life so much easier because he's not and he won't be the type of guy who's just going to attack off the dribble with, you know, with the greatest of ease. Like we we probably see some you know bring I'll bring Cam up again just because it's so fresh in our minds. We probably kind of see that same same struggle that he has he had Cam had kind of early on and throughout the season. And even Brandon Ingram, who he compares favorably to early in his career, at Duke he had trouble in in terms of making the interior and getting getting himself easy shots. He figured it out as he went along. Boston's going to be in, in that same that same vein where. Early on, he might struggle a little bit because of his build and things. But the kid's a good player, and he works hard. So that you know, I, I don't see wherever he goes, I don't see that being a problem with him forever. But he's got to love having Jalen Johnson on board and Jeremy Roach. Now, you you got to love that if you're a shooter. Yeah, you brought that up uh, a couple podcasts ago, talking about how if you're a shooter, neither one of those guys, Johnson or Roach, are going to be ball stoppers. They're mm-hmm. going to find you if you're open, and if you're mm-hmm. a shooter like uh, like Boston is. He's gonna have to love, you know, to look with both with both those guys already locked up for Duke. It has yeah. to build well for us. I'd have to think the pendulum, if it hadn't already, is completely swung in Duke's favor. Yeah, it's got Would to. Would love to see him be the next guy off the board. Let's finish it up with Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about 37 players already that you compared <laughs> to. I'm gonna put you on the spot. One guy in the NBA from Duke that you, you can say he's the most. Uh, unique or the, the most similar mm-hmm. to for, for Jalen Johnson as a comparison. Sure. I, th- I think that one's pretty easy. Uh, I think it's, it's Jason Tatum and it's the Jason Tatum that was a point guard early on in his career. Jason Tatum was, you know, not, not a lot of people remember or know or whatever. He was, he was a point guard early on in his career uh, in, in high school all the way up through his junior season and then kind of transitioned out of that role as he, you know, committed to, to Duke and, and, colleges were looking at him and things and his coaches kind of took him off the ball from there so some of that skill set that he had didn't go away it's just it wasn't his focus anymore but with his handle his size his ability to score I think Jason Tatum compares favorably very much so to Jalen Johnson I think that's an easy one awesome and so while we're on the topic of Duke and the NBA we kind of joked about it at the start of the podcast Duke and the NBA is our next play <laughs> We had, you know, such a, a great time watching the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was so much hype. There was a sellout uh, already uh, in the first uh, matchup between RJ and Zion. Obviously, Zion didn't play in the second half. RJ's kind of struggled a little bit in his first two games. People yep. forget that he actually still has better numbers than Trey Young, who was right in contention for the Rookie of the Year uh, after his first two summer league games when you know, people started calling him a bust after two summer league games. So let's <laughs> yeah. pump the brakes on that. Let's talk about Duke in the NBA, though, and let's start right in the Big Easy with oh, New yeah. Orleans. It is like, got to be honest with you, it is like my sports fandom wet dream that Trajan Langdon <laughs> went out and got J.J. Redick. I want to yeah. stay there. I, I, I can't believe that J.J. went from Philly to New Orleans. I felt like if he was going to go anywhere, 
he would go to you know Brooklyn. I figured right. he might stay, but if anywhere he would go to Brooklyn. I never bought into him going to to L.A. Uh, I, I can't believe that Trajan coaxed him into going to New Orleans. But it actually what the, he and David Griffin have put together though is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's they didn't go straight into we got the number one pick and let's let's kind of nurse him along and he'll be on kind of a losing team for a couple seasons and get his bearings and then we'll really go for the gusto. Griffin said, let's let's make the playoffs this year with with Zion. Let's let's give it a shot. And that's I think that's what they're going to do. Like, <laughs> not gonna lie, I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning from from being a Knicks fan to a Pelicans fan. Like, it's it's a hard thing to do, but it's especially because RJ's there, but it's just very slowly. I'm I'm just starting to kind of piece my way over to to buying some some pelicans merchandise if, if, there's, if there's any left <laughs> yeah right right exactly if there's room on that bandwagon i'm coming like sorry sorry nicks sorry dolan i gotta go like kick me out whatever but no man it's a, he he put together and it, it's this the the narrative of duke players not not producing an nba is is finally thankfully going away because you you consistently see Duke players being picked up to be put on playoff teams, like some yeah, then you know they're not we're not still not producing Hall of Famers like everybody wants Duke to do, but that that's coming. But you know we're we're still putting guys on winning teams and 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 key roles on winning teams. That's the other part that's that's really important to say there. And and I love it, man. I love I love seeing that, and I love I love having the ability to do that. And let's not forget, it just feeds back to the college game it just feeds right into yes. what the, the meaning of the brotherhood like it feeds right into that because like what what's more of a brotherhood than putting five duke players on one nba team you know what i mean like <laughs> like seriously like it's it you, you it can't be it can't be understated so you know to any naysayers who continue to think that you know this brotherhood thing is so you know kitschy or cliche or doesn't matter because these kids don't care about that type of stuff it's just like the business world when when people you know you go to the Wharton School of Business and then you all end up you know on, on with Booz Allen or the same firm. You know what I mean? Like it's that is exactly what's happening in NBA. I love to see it. Yeah, it's awesome. And you did touch on something that David Griffith said. And I was watching uh, another uh, show yesterday. They had David Griffith on, and he talked about exactly what you kind of just said, where they didn't want to surround Zion with you know kind of you know putting together everything around him. They wanted to foster him with a culture of winning. That's mm-hmm. why they went out and got, you know, veteran JJ Reddick. It's why they went out, they kept Drew Holiday. Uh, they liked Ingram coming in there. They went and got a couple other veterans. They want to put together a culture of winning to groom him up. And one of my fears with Zion was that he was going to be stuck in a situation where he had to be quote unquote the man. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a great fit for him. Nope. Uh, his first year in the NBA when he has to learn so much, especially with playing against guys that can match his uh, build and athleticism and strength. He's going to have to learn how to play. Um, he's going to be great. We, we know that. But I think this is a much better situation for him now rather than you know having uh, a losing culture where they're going to be in the lottery four, five, six years in a row. Kind of similar to what happened to Anthony Davis before they started making the playoffs you know, right. two or three times toward the end of his career there. But I love it. And as, obviously, as you said, as a Duke fan, Potentially, at some point during the season, you can see a lineup of five Duke guys oh, yeah. on the court together. Frank Jackson, J.J. Reddick, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Big Ja anchoring in the center. And then my main man, Trajan Linden, um, mm-hmm. you know, just calling the shots from the GM spot. I love it. Let's talk about some of our other guys. We yeah. saw Cam to go to, to, go to uh, Atlanta. They just mm-hmm. picked up Jabari Parker. How do you yep. like that, that matchup for, for both of them? It's it all. I mean, it all depends on Jabari because Jabari's career has been it, it's so weird. His career is so weird because he's such a good player and you see flashes of it. He is a floor spacer and he does he does shine in an environment where the floor is spaced out and he can attack and he can kind of work that inside out type of game. So in terms of, you know, being a scorer off the bench or something, maybe there that that might be a good fit for him you know, they at least have that going for them because they have a bunch of young talent there that they're about to start grooming and they had a, an incredible draft. And, you know, I, I think that that's only going to bode well for their future, having those guys there. So if Jabari can kind of fit that, he's going to be a part of a, a young group that's moving forward. And let's not forget, Jabari's only been in the league, what, five years? If, right. If that, and it seems like he's been there forever. 
because of the injuries and things he's had, but he's he's young. He's still a young guy who's gone through a lot. So he does have something to offer an up and coming team and the East is wide open. Yeah, again, you brought up the injuries. I think that's certainly been, you know, a situation where, you know, when he was in Milwaukee, him and the young Giannis, they were mm-hmm. both about the same age and they were one of the best young duos in the league. Yeah, that's supposed and to be the two. So, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he goes down with another ACL tear. It's just been tough sledding for Jabari. Let's move over to uh, Kyrie. It goes to Brooklyn. Not mm-hmm. a huge surprise. They're going to have to wait one uh, one year for KD. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you buy it? I, I keep kind of going back and forth. I'm kind of flip-flopping like a politician when it comes to Kyrie. You hear a lot of negativity about Kyrie. People forget that last year, his first season in Boston, before he got hurt, he was an MVP candidate. Right. He was leading that team. He was the one that led them to the number one seed before he got hurt uh, in, in Boston before Toronto uh, eventually you know, took that number one uh, seed from them. Mm-hmm. What Kyrie is going to Brooklyn? Hopefully hopefully a mentally healthy one. I think, uh, and not trying to play a sports psychologist or anything, I'm not going to do that. I'm just saying he, he did not enjoy being in Boston, and, and you can right. see it in his game. So. Hopefully, this is something that's going to rejuvenate him. But I do see Kyrie putting up normal Kyrie numbers. Like he's not a he's not a he's not a pass first point guard. He's not somebody who's setting a bunch of teammates up on a regular basis. He's a yeah, he, he's he is a scorer, and that's what he does, and that's what he's going to do. It's, he's going to do that in in Brooklyn, and you know we'll see if he plays a whole season or not. You know they might put him on on a games restriction or something, especially with yeah. his injury 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 history. So you know it's. It, it, I, I thought it was a it obviously it was a good move for him and KD to join up together because those two do complement each other. But it, it'll be interesting to see how next season, not this upcoming, but the season after, how that that really does flow with those two together. I think I think we might see a different Kyrie a little bit with KD there. I think we'll see him kind of acquiesce a little bit and and let KD shine some, especially if they are able to add another piece. Yeah, and he grew up uh, a nice fan. He's going to be, you know, surrounding himself with more family there. I think that's really mm-hmm. going to help him. This is a big year for him leadership-wise. Yeah. He's got to get himself together. Uh, he's he's in a situation where he was able to choose for the first time in his career where he wanted to be. He's got mm-hmm. one of his best friends there. It's a year for him to kind of build himself back up. Uh, I, I like the fit. I hope that it works out for him. Speaking of teams that uh, people grew up loving, Quinn Cook, lands with yeah. the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great fit. He's a good shooter. Uh, he'll be able to come off the bench. He's not a mm-hmm. guy, like you said, that stops the ball. He should be able to come off the bench and be you know, kind of that floor spacer that LeBron loves. One thing LeBron loves more than anything, if you watched his career over the last 16, 17 years, is he likes shooters that can space the floor for him. They're certainly going to need that with Boogie Cousins joining. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Anthony Davis being there. Jared Dudley. They're going to need floor spaces. I know they got Danny Green, but he's kind of on the last kind of stages in his career. Do you mm-hmm. like the fit for Quinn? He's, you know, it's a, it's a minimal contract for for the Lakers. He's a two-year deal, $6 million. Do you like the fit for Quinn? I do. LeBron has wanted to play with Quinn since, you know, when since Quinn was a senior in college and was coming out. If you remember, because Quinn played with, uh, with their summer league, and LeBron had a lot of nice things to say about him especially, you know, in terms of earning a roster spot and things. And it never happened. It never matriculated. But now he's got him in L.A. So he, he's always admired his game. And GM LeBron made it happen, basically. So he's there now. So let's see. You know, let's see. Let's see how it works. Yeah. He's uh, I think he's going to enjoy his time there. Yeah, and he's such a good locker room guy that there should be no issues there. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to probably be able to help Boogie Cousins. Uh, most people wouldn't have thought about that, but they got along well in Golden State for Boogie Cousins one year there. I think that's actually going to help them. Um, Seth Curry uh, was a guy that the Lakers only were targeting, but because they were waiting on Kawhi, he Mm -hmm. ends up signing a great deal, four years, $32 million in Dallas. I love the fit there, Dallas bringing them back. And then, you know, let's finish it up with uh, the other half of the 2015 best backcourt, Tyus Jones, uh, potentially in Memphis. Minnesota still has a chance to match. Doesn't sound like they're going to, which is unfortunate because, you know, it's his hometown team. But this could give him an opportunity to have the ball a little bit more in his hands. I know that they have John Morant. Uh, But Grayson Allen is there as well, a little Mm -hmm. familiar face. 
how do you like both Grayson and Tyus uh, in Memphis? No, that's that's a good that's a really good situation for them because Memphis is they're they're a year away from contending. Like they they they're gonna win some games this year just for the hell of it, just because they can. They have pieces, man. Jaron Jackson, you have John Morant now. And then and Tyus and Grayson are only going to add to that. And I think Grayson now not having to to do the two way thing, and he's gonna he's gonna get to fully stay on that roster. It's a good situation for him because they need a shooting guard and they need shooting on that team. Tyus is gonna have a chance to stick there at Memphis if Minnesota doesn't match, especially with Conley being gone. You know, Jaw's gonna he's gonna be running the show, but he's not gonna. You know, there's it's gonna be he's gonna have growing pains. There's gonna be times where a veteran point guard is needed, and Tyus is gonna offer that. It's it's a good fit for those guys, and then plus there's Miles Plumley there right now today, but there's a chance right. he, you know, they're they're probably gonna say sayonara to him, but you know, it's just it's just again just that nice let's let's stack some Duke players together because they complement each other very well, man. It just it works out. It's 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 really fun to see how this is working. So I, I think it's a good fit yeah. for those guys. It's a young nucleus, young team, looking to contend eventually. I, 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 there's not much pressure right now. I, th- I think it'll be good for them. Speaking of Duke in the NBA and Grayson Allen. ESPN had an absolutely perfect situation with Dan Dockage on the mic, playing against Grant Williams. Grayson Allen gets into what I believe to be just, you know, a situation where there's a bunch of basketball plays going on. Uh, It gets completely blown out of proportion. Uh, Dan Dockage goes on the mic and basically says that Duke is enabling him to be a punk on the court. Uh, how they didn't, you know, help him whatsoever, and they're the reason that this continues to happen. Uh, uh, AC, <laughs> there's so much I want to say on this, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, for those that may, may not know at, at this point, uh, but I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you, you're very aware of it. Uh, the two plays that Grayson Allen got flagrants on, one, he was going to, he, he was in, involved in kind of like a, a pip situation, where he's being wrapped up and he's trying to get free to get through. It kind of tosses Williams to the side. Uh, nice job by acting, uh, of acting there by, by Williams. Every player does that. Sell the call. Mm-hmm. The job is somehow called a flagrant. And then the second one was going up for a block. He's completely out of position body-wise. Uh, he gets part of the ball, but also fouls him. It's a foul. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to call it a harm foul, sure. I didn't even think it was that hard of a foul. Um, but that was a call in a flag, which leads to an ejection, which leads to ESPN zooming in closely on Gracie's reaction to it, which is hands up, bewildered look on his face. How is that a flagrant? And then he gets tossed, and the next thing you know, it's a media storm. Mike went back in his junior year. Uh, explain to our audience, first of all, <laughs> Just the, the, the two plays that we're, we're talking about and how often those occur. And if we take the two names out of it, uh, is this even a discussion right now? <laughs> I'll, I'm going to speak on that for a second. And then I'm just going to let you go because <laughs> I know how you feel about this. And I cannot wait. This is going to be awesome. Bottom line, that those are two plays that happen at, at least six times a day in every basketball game around the world. At the very least, you know what I mean? Like every right now there's a pickup game going on somewhere in California at the moment. And that play is happening exactly as it happened with Grayson and Grant Williams. So I I, I don't know. I really don't know what else to say about it because it's it's insane. And it's 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 the bed that Grayson made for himself. But by the same token, like we're two years removed, three years removed from anything he's done egregious on the court. If you want to deem it that. And somehow the narrative is still it continues. And yeah, just to add, um, you know, let's just talk about like old man pickup games. How many old man pickup games have you played at the YMCA where all there is is holding, grabbing, pulling, pushing, like swatting? That's just basketball. That's just basketball. Yep. Um, and that happens all the time on every level. Whether I mean, I don't know what's going on in CYO ball any, anymore because I haven't been around it. But you, you coach young kids in AAU. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume it happens at that level. Oh, uh, absolutely. And it's like, and here's the fine line of 
we, we people, especially people from, and we'll, I'm gonna we'll speak directly about Dan Dockage in this scenario. People from his generation of basketball complain so often. I've heard him. I don't know how many times during Kentucky broadcasts and Duke broadcasts and everything else. He complains about how soft the game has gotten. He he calls players soft on a regular basis. It's you right. know, which is again kind of he's he's a dick. Bottom line, but he calls players soft on a, on a regular basis because basketball is not what it used to be. Yet a play that the Detroit Pistons would probably scoff at and say you're you need to hit him harder, Grayson. And he all of a sudden acts like Grayson needs to be kicked out of the league and and deported from from America. Like, I, don't, I don't get it, man. You know, the funny thing is, is that, the, you know, obviously the deporting from America is, you know, an exaggeration, but he probably does want him out of the leap. Right. Like that, if you listen to, to what he said afterwards, and I'm not going to play the entire thing, but he was essentially calling him uh, mentally unstable, mm-hmm. unstable, uh, a low moral compass. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... You know, I had to like sit back. I had to go back and watch again and again and again. I'm like, there must be something I'm missing here, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, any rival fans or anybody that hates Duke is going to take that and run with it. Hence the lightning rod moment. As and I don't have, right, as they should. I don't have a problem with that. You're mm-hmm. never going to convince those people otherwise. And and quite frankly, nor should you. They're they're going to you know, put their feet in the sand and and. You know, they're going to stand by their feelings, and that's fine. We do the same thing as Duke fans when it comes to the, the UNC uh, scandal and, you know, UK fans uh, sending death threats to referees. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, this situation, though, the, the issue I have is, is quite funny. We started uh, our podcast off after the Maui Invitational defending R.J. Barrett, uh, mm-hmm. and we weren't going after rival fans or ESPN commentators and Seth Greenberg or even our own Jay Williams, we were going after Duke fans that were all over RJ Barrett calling him selfish. Uh, this is a similar situation. Mm-hmm. And so speaking directly to Duke fans, uh, number one, you know, the, the pontificating that is going on uh, saying that Grayson needs to learn, he needs to mature, uh, he needs to stop doing this shit. Uh, you know, all those sorts of just erroneous comments that have absolutely nothing. You, you already said it. This hasn't happened since his junior year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've seen so many people say, oh, well, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. While I understand that implication, that has nothing, that has nothing to do with anything. Do you know why? Nothing happened. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's so stupid to even make that comment because – if you watch the actual plays, nothing happened. Well, I didn't care for his reaction. Well, how would you react? How would I've you seen, react? And I've seen, I've seen the narrative that I'd rather see him throw a punch than do what he did. It's like, what? Seriously? People, people <laughs> are so, they're, they're so all over the place on this thing that yeah. they can't even figure it out. Well, he needs to calm down. It's just summer league. Okay, well, if it's just summer league, then why are we talking about it? If it's not important, why are we talking about it? Because it's Grayson Allen. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. we're talking about it. It's Grayson Allen. Um, Unfortunately. You know, and, and, you know, and I, I don't know where you stand on this, but I, I think that uh, the fact that it's, it's a white Duke player that has a history, that certainly plays into the narrative. It mm-hmm. played into the narrative his entire career um, when this whole thing went down his junior season. Um, they were watching him like a hawk, everything he did at Duke his senior year was mm-hmm. so scrutinized uh, that if anything would have happened his senior year, it would have been blown up, but nothing did. Mm-hmm. So if you're acting as a Duke fan like this is some kind of regular occurrence, then not only are you misinformed, I question, what are you, what are you trying to save face for here? Are you trying to save face for uh, rival fans that are, you know, calling you uh, stupid and immoral for standing up for a, a quote-unquote punk like Grayson Allen, if, if that's the case, then you have to have a stronger backbone. And you have to look at everything with a grain of salt. If Grayson Allen had tripped him, if Grayson Allen had punched him, mm-hmm. if Grayson Allen had you know wrapped him around the neck and, and, and tried to take him down on that second play, yeah, I, I wouldn't be defending him. And the fact, that I even, the, the fact that I have to defend him here is insane. It is so stupid 
that it it absolutely blows my blood and and credit to ESPN and Dan Dockage. That's the reaction they want. They want the two polar opposite reactions. You're going to get the stuff from the the rival fans and you're going to get this from me. I can't believe that we have Duke fans that are actually looking at this objectively and looking at the plays that happen and can somehow say that Grayson Allen needs to go see a therapist. And I've seen that multiple times from Duke fans. A therapist If, if he's being dirty, that's one thing. But telling him to, to take away his aggressive, aggressiveness and, and chip and what makes him who he is as a player, because he's not the most talented. He's not the best shooter. He is a great athlete, but he's not the most athletic in the NBA. This is what he uses to separate himself. He does all yep. those little things. And to ask him to change now, he's 24 years old. This is his second year. This is going to be his second year in the NBA. Don't change. Keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, these referees there in the summer league, they're, they're, they're tasked with, you know, trying to implement some of the newer rules that are going to be coming in. Some of them are younger referees that are trying to break through. Um, it's, not, it's not perfect. And those guys in the summer league, they're not just rookies, you know, playing pickup ball. Those are guys that are trying to make the league you can argue that they play harder in the summer league than in the regular season NBA because those guys are trying to make a roster. They're trying to get that 11th or 12th spot mm-hmm. in, in many cases. They're, they're journeymen. They're grown-ass men that are trying to do this. I don't fault Grayson Allen one bit for this. That's not being a homer. You could take the name Grayson Allen out and put in whoever you want, uh, Tyler Hero. You, we, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Right. And I have to give... Uh, the media uh, companies only credit there. They're trying to drive clicks. Mm-hmm. I get it. And I'm sure they got more clicks um, for those articles than they have for the rest of the summer league uh, combined outside yep. of whatever, you know, Zion's uh, stuff was, you know, mm-hmm. in the first half that he played. It's a lightning rod moment. I get mm-hmm. it. Uh, again, my issue isn't with them. It's not with rival fans. It, it's with the Duke fans that are all of a sudden holier than now. And, you know, he has to learn, like, how AC, how long does it take to learn your lesson? Even though these learning egregious plays, uh, now Grayson Allen's a, a, a punk and a bully again. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Just so I can make oh, yeah, sure yeah, that I know yeah. He's back to being okay. a goon again. For, okay. For sure. uh, and, know, and for, uh, for Dockets to make the leap that Duke has enabled this, they've created this for him. And then to make the leap as if Grayson Allen has has invented these types of fouls and invented these types of plays. Like, seriously? And in one of the most famous Duke Carolina moments, you got players punching each other, Larry Brown going down. Punching cheerleaders, and, male cheerleaders, but cheerleaders. Like, fans. Like, Heyman went after a fan. It's good, it hard basketball. Good, hard basketball, and that's celebrated. Uh, but Grayson Allen trying to run through picks and, you know, shove off defenders is the, the, the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the game. Uh, it, it's incredible. And, and to, to double down on it and to start questioning his moral compass, like that mm-hmm. to me is so out of bounds mm-hmm. that you should, be, you should be ashamed of yourself if that's what you're doing. Um, I've never heard one thing bad about Grayson Allen off the court. Right. Uh, does he play with a chip on his shoulder? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he played inside the lines. People are much different. If you're, if you're, if you've ever played a sport, uh, if you're an athlete, a former athlete, uh, you should probably know what, you're, what I'm talking about. You know, when you get, I'm a different person when I get inside the, the lines, you know, than I am when I'm at home. Uh, it, it, the competitiveness drives you. It's, it's why a lot of players have always said that, you know, they don't like uh, reporters in the locker room directly after the game, or why they don't like uh, being interviewed right after the game because, you know, it's like that Richard Sherman thing, you know, after the playoff game uh, to go to the Super Bowl when he's calling, uh, I can't remember the wide receiver, Crabtree, Michael Crabtree, Crabtree calling yeah. him a, a soft-ass bitch, mm-hmm. a baby-back bitch. Like, you're, you're interviewing the guy 10 seconds after he made the biggest play of his career to go right. lead his team to, to places that they had never been. Um, of course, he's going to be jacked up uh the point of this whole thing is that you're a different person inside the ropes inside the lines than you are outside so enough with the the unctuous 
talking of how morally, morally superior you are to, than Grayson Allen. Well, you have no idea who he is. And, and for Duke fans not to know who he is and all the stories that have come out about Grayson Allen off the court and all the things that he's done for kids and, and things like that, uh, it, it's just it's reckless. And uh, I, I just I don't, I don't even know how we root for the same team sometimes. And when, when, when you do stuff like that, it, it, I just can't, I can't get over that. I have no problem with uh, the media companies trying to drop clips. No problem with you and seeing Kentucky fans doing what they're doing to use this. I would use it too. Uh, but this is nothing. You know, it, it's not even a nothing burger. It is nothing nachos without any cheese, without any ground beef. Uh, it, it's no tomatoes, no salsa, no sour cream. It is nothing. It's just a bag of chips. Eat them. They're delicious. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the la- the last thing I'll say about it is l- let's at this point let's see what the Grizzlies Grizzlies brass do about this. Like, do they see this as which I I un- unless they need to do some kind of public relations thing or something, right. I wholeheartedly see them playing this one off as nothing and not doing a damn thing about it. Because then what what does that do about the people who are I've seen calling for Kay's job because he enabled this uh, <laughs> saying that he's, he's coach K has coach K also has uh, uh, the lacking moral compass. Dockage called coach K out for it. His uh, R- Ryan Ruko called out coach K the same breath that Dan Dockage did. Like, let's see what happens with the Grizzlies after this one. Like I, they, nothing should happen. That's the thing. Nothing should happen with them. The man should not lose his job. The man should not be fined because how many other people, unless it's a part of the contract where if you get ejected, you get fined, fine, whatever. It should stay at that. It shouldn't go any further. And I don't, I don't even think an apology needs to be issued. Like, cause I've seen that part too. I'm like, I, I, apologize. Right. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see what they, what, what they even do about this. If, if anything. Um, yeah. And again, uh, we could go all day on this topic, but let's stay in the NBA and let's talk about free agency because this free agent summer has been more wild than any free agent summer in the history of the league. Next play. Uh, mm-hmm. This was one of the most fun free agent periods I have ever remembered. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were saying it's the most uh, exciting free agent period of all time. Kind of hard to dispute that. I yeah. want to start right at the top. We already talked about <laughs> KD. Kind of figured that he was going to go either to the Knicks or to the Nets, and the Knicks, James Dolan, uh, somehow comes out on, on the, <laughs> the, the opening night of uh, free agency saying that they were not going to offer KD the max. I don't believe that for one second, uh, but we're not going to focus on it because that's just, right. you're a Pelicans fan now, so we're not going to focus on that. <laughs> but what we are going to focus on is Kawhi Leonard. That was oh, man. the biggest question mark uh, going into the holiday. And I'm going to table this and set this up for you. Right. So, most folks had, you know, the Chris Broussards, the Woj, all those guys had the Clippers yeah. out of it. Right. You know, it's a done deal to the Lakers, but then he gets on the flight, went to Toronto, brass going back to Toronto. Uh, you start hearing these uh, rumors about how he's testing the one team that he said he was going to go to for leaks. Now you have Magic Johnson all over the papers, all over the radio, talking about his conversation. That can't be a good look if he's actually going to the Lakers. So now you're starting to, but then you hear Jalen Rose saying he's 99% <laughs> at Toronto. And it's just like, what is going on here? You just said don't leak. And the two favorites are leaking everywhere. Yeah. And then, in the, you know, the midnight hour, he allegedly, allegedly tells the Lakers, hold off on finalizing the AD deal, um, you know, for all the cash base and whatnot, and get us to, you know, just let, let me just get there. Uh, hold off on that. And really all he was doing was buying time for the Clippers to pull a rabbit out of their hat and go get Paul George. <laughs> what an indictment on LeBron. Uh, a lot of people are saying Paul George demanding a trade uh, is an indictment on Westbrook. I think that there's there's truth to both of those statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was blown away when I woke up Saturday morning and I saw that not only was Kawhi going to the Clippers, that right. was a mini shop, but that Paul and George was coming with them. What if, when you finally saw this news, what went through your head? I mean, it was total shock. It was like, holy cow, you know, he, and, and, you know, forget what the pundits say on TV. I really don't 
care what they have to say because typically they're they're wrong and they're just kind of throwing things out there for the sake of conversation. And it's, it draws more ratings to say something about the Lakers than it does about the Clippers or whatever. But it was, it was just a complete, complete surprise to me that he would leave Toronto. Not, not that he would leave Toronto per se, just that he would go. It seemed like he was going to go to a crowded West by himself, but then immediately it was, he's going there. Oh yeah. And Paul George is coming too. I was like, I thought he was by himself and I saw Paul George. I was like, holy, wait, 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 what? <laughs> like, oh, how, how did this happen? So, you know, he, they made it, they made a deal work for them that, you know, they missed on some free agents and such, but they still, they still got a top flight guy in Paul George. And, you know, we joked around about if, if Jimmy Butler went with Kawhi to the Clippers with Patrick Beverly and some of those guys they would have on the roster, that'd be the greatest defensive team of all time. Well, now it's even Paul, better. Paul, Paul George said it makes it even better, <laughs> man. Like it's that the, the defense they're going to play is going to be sick. I, I still think the, the Lakers put together a really good roster and it'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see how those pieces mesh because I think the Lakers supporting pieces are better than what Kawhi and Paul George have with the Clippers it's just that at the moment I, in my opinion Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the NBA like I, I I will see what LeBron comes back from the injuries and such like we'll see how focused he is now on everything now that Space Jam 2 is wrapped so we'll see. We'll see where where his head is now in in, in the league. I think I think he's gonna be. I think he's really gonna be ready to go for broke with this season. So you know he all, all it would take is for him to breathe, for him to take that top spot back. But I mean Kawhi's right there. Like he is, and he proved it throughout the finals and playoffs. Like that dude is just phenomenal. And it, you know it'll be fun to see what he does with with a guy like Paul George because you know since since you know Duncan and those guys retired from the Spurs, he hasn't been with with top flight NBA talent, you know, since then. So now he has it again. So let's see what he can do with it. He talked openly about, I guess not openly, but it was, it was widely rumored that he had reached out to KD, uh, that he wouldn't go to the Clippers without somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it just was never mentioned that it'll be Paul George. Now, yeah. you know, ever since, you know, this whole thing went down and now you have Kawhi and Paul George, uh, they're talking about this is the best duo since, you know, Pippen and Jordan. And this is a perfect fit for Paul George to be that Pippen, um, which is no slight. But people have to realize that Paul George was a top three MVP candidate the entire season. He was. So he you was. add him. Th- those are the I think this inarguable. Those are the two best two way players in the league, and it's a it's a Wayne dominated league. So while yeah. I love the duo of LeBron and AD because they're probably two top five players. Um, I, I like the, the the chemistry that Kawhi and Paul and George. Imagine trying to stop that. Yeah. So while the Lakers have a better, I mean, by the same by the same token, though, like that. I mean, that that LeBron AD combo is not slouchy. Oh, it's like it's gonna be sick, but if they match up in the playoffs, I like the Clippers in that one, just because yeah. you have two guys that can match up with Braun, and mm-hmm. and really, you know, you have fouls. I love the Harp. I really love the Harpless trade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that that's really good for them defensively to match up, mm-hmm. not only with AD, but, you know, throw some size at, uh, some extra size at Boogie when he's in there. Right. We don't know what Boogie's going to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Three years the, ago, you would have said you're crazy. Right. So, yeah. uh, that the Boogie would be going there on a, a one-year, $3 million deal or whatever <laughs> right. it is. You know, that that's just crazy to me. Uh, but either way, you know, Magic Johnson did say it. Uh, even though he was trying to save face, basketball is king in LA right now. To have four of the top six players in the league uh, mm-hmm. all right there is just it, it's that just write it down in Sharpie. That will be the Christmas Day game. What, yeah, what that's this will be fun, man. <laughs> what do you see the aftermath though? Now you know it's no surprise now that Westbrook's going to get moved. That mm-hmm. was pretty obvious once Paul and George went to the the Clippers. Where do you see Westbrook going? I, I almost feel bad for the guy, even though he does it to himself. I right. was always a huge Westbrook supporter, but he can't shoot. He's going into his, what, 12th year? Yep. He has a massive contract. Uh, I still probably have Westbrook over Chris Paul, even though they mm-hmm. both have terrible contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, you know, you have a little bit more with, with a younger Westbrook, although not too, too much younger. You know, he's got a lot of miles on, yeah. on those legs. Where do you see him fitting? Uh, where can they move him to? I've I've heard Detroit. I've heard Miami. Is there is there a place that he possibly fits? 
Well, it's it's all of like, quite honestly, it's going to be all about who who has a piece that they are not only willing to trade but can trade to get him because it's going to take it's going to take some picks and it's going to take you know a, a high level talent to to make that trade. Detroit, eh, I mean, unless they're looking to unload Blake Griffin, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't I don't see that making sense. I think Riley wants to hold on to what he has in Miami. Unless, unless, like he said, he wants to get rid of that Duke concept, and then he, I think Justice Winslow would be a tradable, a tradable piece with picks uh, for for Russell Westbrook. In terms of style of play, it's just like, in terms of style of play, it's just it's gonna have to be. It Russ is either gonna have to to figure out how to work with someone else, and I think with him, what it takes is it takes him to be with another strong personality. So, and just just to throw it out at the wall like 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 everybody else does um who 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 works for the jump on ESPN i would not be surprised at all to see a d'angelo russell for russell westbrook swap with the warriors that wouldn't be able to happen though until the trade deadline because they right. do have to keep him until i, I think it's like december 3rd or something like yeah. that yeah um i don't i don't see how that would fit personally um that to me wouldn't make a whole lot of sense but you know, the Warriors, you know, they make moves that, you know, most people don't think of. And mm-hmm. you got to trust the Warriors when it comes to their front office. But speaking of the Warriors, uh, the West is absolutely loaded. Mm-hmm. We've kind of found ourselves where in a situation where the kind of the era of the quote-unquote super teams is done. And now yeah. you just have, like, these phenomenal duos. You right. have Kawhi and PG-13 in the Clippers. You have AD and Braun in uh la with the lakers you have clay and Steph still mm-hmm. you have cj mccollum and uh damian Miller. you yep. have murray and jokic in uh in, in denver, denver. yeah uh i love what uh what the jazz did uh yeah. you have donovan mitchell and mike conley i think mike conley is going to be a godsend for donovan mitchell yeah he's not going to have to do it all i love what the jazz and quinn Snyder have done uh is there a team that you see separating themselves at all from the West. It's just going to be a, a dog-eat-dog world, I feel like, in the West. I think Dallas is really good. We just yeah. have, I mean, there's so many good teams. We already talked about New Orleans. They're going to be very good. Somebody mm-hmm. can't make the playoffs there. Right. You know, there's <laughs> right. Just too many good teams. Do you see someone uh, that we haven't talked about kind of emerging that you know most people wouldn't expect? This season, though, no, I really don't. Um, the, the only team that you haven't talked about or mentioned yet for good reason though, the Spurs, like they're this, regardless, they have Popovich and they're still there. Like they, they're still in the, in the conversation, at least of a spoiler a little bit, like they're going to make it hard for somebody. Yep. They, they're, they're not in contention to be one of those final team final teams. Out of that. In my opinion, there's three teams who are in, in, in a finals position and that's the Warriors, Lakers and Clippers at the moment, you know, barring really, injuries and everything ahead, else. Even ahead of Denver. And, yeah, and I think so. Portland. I like I like what Portland's done as well. Not so yeah. much the Sean Whiteside, but they actually get a couple of guys back, and so they're going to have three bigs there and talk about what a you team might, that could make a trade. Yeah, that could be them. And, and and what you might see too with one of the with either Portland or Denver because they're they're right there. They're not they're the next tier. What yeah. you might see with one of those two is you know if if someone if one of those top three does have any kind of injury concerns or anything else like that. You might see, you know, those those two teams are going to play the regular season to a, to a point where they're at least going to be in that conversation of of having a top three record. So that's going to shift. That's going to shift what you see in in terms of seeding. And seeding is going to be really important in the West. That's that's the thing about the West right now is the seeding is going to be incredible to to see how those matchups go from from the first round. And and don't forget Houston, you know, once they figure out what happens with Chris Paul there, they're still lying in wait cuz they still have James Harden. So <laughs> that whole that whole side, man, is 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 really incredible and and like I said, seed, seeding is so important and it's going to create the conversation of especially if the East is as bad as it looks like it might be this season. It's going to create the conversation of do we get rid of the conferences and just have the top 16 teams make the playoffs? Because yeah. I, I think we're, I really think we're venturing towards that, especially with the e- none of the teams in the East being able to secure any of this top flight talent. I, I really think you're going to see that, that conversation continue, you know, greatly as, as it just looks like the West is just going to clean things up. So 
we're going to finish the segment off. I want to throw out, you spitball uh, Westbrook to potentially, um, you know, they have some sort of trade with the Angels mm-hmm. Russell and the Warriors. How about a three-team deal where Westbrook goes to Houston, mm-hmm. they move Chris Paul to Miami, and then Miami and Houston both throw a bunch of stuff toward Oklahoma City in some mm-hmm. sort of three-team deal. Money might make sense there, so I don't do my yeah. call. I'm going to say Westbrook. That makes sense. Houston. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. And, and, and yeah, and then next CP3 go to somewhere like Miami where he wouldn't be completely miserable. Yep. And uh, and then, you know, Oklahoma City just makes a bunch of picks, money, and, and young guys. Maybe Justice Winslow uh, is in there. But we started this podcast off with uh, some Duke news about Jalen Johnson, and we're going to finish it off with some Duke news. Uh, the man that AC, was he the lead recruiter for uh, Jalen Johnson? I know we talked about him he was. a hair. But <laughs> he was like the only about, recruiter for Jalen Johnson. <laughs> but let's talk about not only uh, what Shire brings from a recruiting standpoint, but you know the comments that Jalen Johnson's father made about how integral John Shire was to bringing a self-proclaimed Kentucky fan uh, in Jalen Johnson over to Duke. That That mm-hmm. is another shot at John Kyle Perry uh, and it's John Shire. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but is Shire right up there with Capel for how important he's been and will continue to be as long as he's on the Duke staff in terms of recruiting? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because with, with every staff, you have so many kids that you're recruiting. It's span of control. If, if you, you know, think about it from a leadership arc, span of control, you can only handle so many different people. There's handlers, there's coaches, there's parents. There's brothers, there's sisters, there's uncles. There's so many people you have to see you know, to to talk to and, and stay in touch with with these guys that you know it it becomes too much for one head coach to handle on his own, obviously. And a head coach at 71 years old is not going to be out on the trail as often as he was when he was, you know, 35, 40. You need those young assistants who are, you know, eager, available, all the above. And Shire has shown that in spades since 2013-14 when he came onto the staff as a special assistant. He was, you know, he was involved with some some of the lead recruiting uh, that that went on on the road. He got to travel with Kay, with Capel, some of the other guys, to see how things were done. He and Nate James did a lot of scouting together early on because Nate James is sort of like that scout that takes a look at some of the maybe the lower tier guys on the list and, and kind of forms those relationships and opinions and and scouting material that that Kay then uses to determine if this is a guy that he wants on the team or not or wants to continue to pursue. So Shire has seen it. He's seen a lot of it in in a short amount of time. And the fact that he has been able to run with it this far has been incredible. Like he's the associate head coach. And, you know, obviously that was vacated by Capel when he left. But Kay had no problem sliding him into that role, even though James has been on the squad, on the, on the staff longer than Shire. It kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. And uh, famously, we know, uh, when we were recruiting Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. how much Jason Tatum's mother loved John Shire. Yep. Uh, so, so clearly uh, Shire has a, a great message that not only resonates with the players, but they, that resonates with the parents. And that's something that Coach K has been able to do throughout his career. Mm-hmm. So who are some other players that are we're currently recruiting that Shire, whether he's the lead recruiter right now, or is playing an integral role in their recruitment for, you know, hopefully coming to do. Yeah. Let's, let's run down the list. Not in, in any particular order. Uh, Jason, you mentioned Jason Tatum already. He was his primary recruiter, uh, Cam Reddish, primary recruiter, Zion, John, John Shire started the conversation with Zion. Jeff Capel finished it off. Jalen Johnson. We know Vernon Carey on this year's squad, Matthew Hurt on this year's squad, Frank Jackson. He was the lead recruiter for Luke Kennard was his first John's first real you know, real recruit. I think Jeff Capel, I'm pretty sure, uh, gets all the, like the credit as a primary recruiter for for Luke Kennard that season. But John Shire, in every interview, Kennard's dad, his family, Luke Kennard himself, have all given the credit to John Shire being the one to forge that relationship with Duke and turn and flip him from being basically a Kentucky a Kentucky gimme to being one you know one of Duke's best best players we've seen in the past ten years. You, you got Derek Thornton. You know we know how that turned out, but at the time. Big get by Duke. Uh, Jeremy Roach from this uh, this coming class. Uh, Joey Baker and Alex O'Connell was was John's first, you know, his first lead as the primary recruiter. So, like, again, in that span of time to have that many high-profile recruits 
and to start where he started, starting with essentially, you know, Alex O'Connell and Luke Kennard, guys who were seen farther down in the top 100, if any of that stuff makes, you know, makes a difference to anyone and moving up to the number one and number two consensus players in classes in a span of like five years, man, is that's, that's incredible. That's, that's, that gives you an idea of his aptitude. The other big part of this is Shire. He he can relate to these guys and he's somebody that these players have at least seen play, not in the NBA, but these kids were nine, eight, nine years old when Duke won the title with John Shire leading, leading the way. And you know, and you know these kids watch that. You know, we can we can recall who our favorite players were when we were eight, nine, ten years old, still at the age of you know thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven. So, you know, it, it's he's he can relate to these guys. They know who he is. He has a fresh fresh face. He gets along so well with guys, and and his personality is he's just got that that very gregarious kind of personality that guys love. Like the players love him to death. So it's it's no secret that, you know, this is happening. And it's also one of the big reasons why, in my opinion, when Coach K does step down, if John Shire is not number one and or number two on the next head coach list for Duke, I, I, I don't know who else deserves that that spot because he he's Duke family. He's seen it. He's done it. And by all accounts, on top of just recruiting, his X's and O's are also top notch. Yeah, and I think that that last part is is you know arguably what might separate him from Cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He's got people talk about Brad Stevens all the time. They're like, you know, I, I would love for Brad Stevens to leave the Celtics to come coach Duke. Number one, not gonna happen. <laughs> Number two, yeah, it's there's there's just something about guys who know how 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 to how to view a basketball game and how to view you know the. the just the the symphony that a basketball game is where you know the, just being able to feel the game coach always, coach K always talks about it and Shire is one of those guys being being a point guard at duke at times being being the lead ball handler you know just ever since he's been in glenbrook, glenbrook north like he he knows the game so well man and if you watch a duke game watch very closely you'll see out of bounds plays you'll see you know you'll see press breaks things like that when they call timeouts for those things, look who has the clipboard and is talking to the huddle next time you watch the do game. It's not K, all right, and and that's not that's not by that's not by accident. So, you know, it's he's he's ready. He's being primed for it. St. John's had him on their list of candidates when they were searching for a new head coach. It's a big place to want want a young head coach with no coaching experience. Think about that too. No head coaching experience, and St. John's has him on their had him on their short list as a head coach. You know, you brought up Brad Stevens. Everybody loved Brad Stevens and still does because he was a young mind that, you know, was a basketball mind that could, you know, get his message across to players. We have that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that he's the level of Brad Stevens, but he's being groomed for that and he's learning under Coach K. So if you're a Duke guy and you're talking about Brad Stevens, kind of look at Shire in the same vein. You know, mm-hmm. Shire is going to be, what, 30 years old or so? He's 31 um, right now. 31, okay. So, you know, by the time Kay leaves, he might be kind of, you know, in that range where Brad Stevens was leading Butler. So yep. if if Brad Stevens is kind of the guy you want, the, the only quote-unquote knock on Brad Stevens was he never really was recruiting those high-level players that Duke recruits. But right. John Shire has been doing that. John exactly. Shire will have been doing that for... 10 plus years uh, whenever Kane decides he wants to hand it up. Mm-hmm. So if you want Brad Stevens, maybe take a look at what Shire is doing. Um, let's kind of close it up. Who are future recruits that John Shire is hoping to close not only this year, but in the, in the 21, 22, potentially 23 classes that we should be looking for? Yeah. So at the moment he's with, uh, he's with BJ Boston. And, you know, we're kind of seeing how that one's going. I think depending on how some of these guys start to pan out, we'll see him kind of step towards the forefront because that's how it'll go too. you know, you, you have kind of that broad scope recruiting where a bunch of guys are talking to someone and then somebody kind of focuses in, especially once some of these relationships are developed. They're at Peach Jam right now. Everybody's there. The entire staff is there. They're all watching. And, and John Shire's there. Uh, Terrence Clark is a big name that's happening right now, moving up, possibly moving up from the 21 class to the 20 class. Really loves Duke. John Shire's at the forefront of that one. Um, it's so we he has some guys right now. That, those big names that you see and start to emerge are 
are where he is. His focus in the you know, recently has really, really been with Jalen Johnson and securing that commitment. And now my my bet is he's going to work with BJ Boston. We'll see where that one goes. And and as as some of these other names emerge, depending on where he commits, you know, we'll we'll start to see some of those some of those guys take hold. Uh, Patrick Baldwin up there in Wisconsin right now, Duke's number one target, the number one player in 2021, John Shire. You know, I mean, it's not not a secret. None of those things are a secret. None of them are by coincidence. Yeah, so clearly, you know, Shire's, um, you know, he's, he's kind of like Cable where you mentioned, you know, you have uh, Nate James kind of going out there scouting, and then when it's moving in the direction where we want to really put a focus on somebody, it's going to be Shire that's going to be leading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, 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 it's, and like you mentioned, you made a really good point about Shire, when, whenever it comes time for him to interview for these jobs, for these coaching jobs, whether it's with Duke, whether it's somebody else, he has something on his resume that not many other coaches in the nation get to have, which is I secured this number one recruit. I secured this number one recruit. And he, he doesn't just have one of those to point at. He has already has like five of those to point at. So it's, it's really incredible to, to watch that unfold and, and just watch how quickly his career is progressing. And again, I don't, I don't know who else has a better, resume i don't like chris collins is always mentioned he has time as a head coach but his time at northwestern's been rocky and he hasn't been able to secure guys in the chicago area that you think you could get to stay stay home and stay in that area wojo he's gotten a couple decent recruits but again nothing at the level john shire has been able to secure and, to, and to, we moved to be, bob to hurley fair, those guys yeah to be fair to them uh i think it's unfair to you know, you, you have Coach K in your back pocket. You have Duke University. That's a little bit different. So you can't compare. You can't compare apples to apples. Especially no, not college. apples to apples. But, but even when they were at Duke, they didn't. They they okay, weren't sure, sure, sure. top guys. You know what I mean? And 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 not to not to besmirch them or put a smudge on their legacy because I think Collins and Wojo are great coaches, especially where they are. I think they're doing a. a I'm thinking. I think they're doing a good job at the places that they've chosen to coach. Sure. But C- Collins and Wojo were part of probably the most downtime in Duke recruiting history, and you know that that says something because it, people bring up all the time how Kay was on the road with the Olympic team and things like that. Some of that stuff happened. Those those guys were there. Like Sh- Shire has been through the Olympic thing with Kay. Like it, it's not you know they. Yes, K having K and Duke in your back pocket, especially in this time frame right now with the one and done era, is a big help for Shire. But he's still got those guys. He was still able sure. to get them. And I guess to finish this segment up uh, and this podcast, do you think it is a necessity for Shire to go get head coaching experience before uh, before K steps down? If he was at a program like. Uh, let's just throw out someone like like Western Kentucky or something like that. If he was an assistant somewhere like that, sure. He's an assistant at Duke where you're followed by the media. You deal with – you have – it's a different animal with press relations. It's a different animal with travel. It's a different animal with logistics. There's, there's so many things. Be, being an assistant, even an associate head coach, we'll call him that because that's his title at Duke. Being an associate head coach at Duke is leaps and bounds above any experience that you can get at like a low mid, a low major or even mid major level in college basketball, it just is because you're exposed to so many different things. And the way K lets him handle it, he lets him call play, call plays. He lets him run the team at times. There's, there's, you know, so it's not like he's not doesn't know what it means to be a head coach. He, there might be parts of it that he has to learn and experience. He can do that at Duke, especially if the AD is willing to give him a little bit of time. He's not going to have a problem with it. He's he's there. He already knows it. He he knows the system. So that that's my in my opinion, he has so much valuable experience being Kay's right hand man at Duke than he would ever get if he had to take some low level job just to prove he could be a head coach. And and to add one more thing, uh, let's say that it, it does come to fruition that you know when Kay steps down, it will be John Shire that that takes over. I think. My gut tells me that Nolan Smith for sure would stick around mm-hmm. with him, and mm-hmm. that would be the one A one B combo that mm-hmm. Duke would love to have because both you know we've talked about Nolan Smith about how he relates to players, um, you know how important he was to kind of making Duke cool again, uh, and then having John Shire who you know his 
recruiting process we just talked about. Um, mm -hmm. Guys like that to kind of build your staff around, it's going to be yep. really tough to, to say no to that. Yep. What about guys like James and Carowell that are a little older? Um, do, would they potentially stick around or you think that they would, you know, both go elsewhere if, if you know, it does work out that way? I think they would stick around. Like, obviously, Shire would vacate an associate, you know, an associate head coach position, assistant coach position. So there's a spot there to open up. Like you said, I think Nolan Smith would be the prime candidate to take that spot. Gerald Henderson has also mentioned that if John Shire ever becomes a coach somewhere, he wants to coach with him because those two are, you know, they've been best friends since they've stepped foot on Duke's campus together. Um, yeah. I, I think Carowell and James are two guys. Carowell more than James. I, I can see him being a head coach. Nate, I don't know if I can see him being a head coach somewhere. I don't know if I can see somebody taking that shot on him. But both of those guys are kind of what people say that Shire should have. They're the guys who are a little bit lower on the tier that may need to get, you know, maybe they need to get a little more head coaching experience elsewhere because they're not necessarily in the same they, they don't get to do some of the same things that Shire gets to do in terms of how he interacts with the team. So, you know, maybe those two guys are candidates for getting getting head coaching experience elsewhere. Maybe they want to do that. I don't know. I don't know. James has always said he's been happy being an assistant. I think he knows his role and knows where he is. So I don't I don't and I wouldn't see him going anywhere. He loves Duke. That's that's where he wants to be. So he, his family has roots there, everything else. Carowell, maybe if he has head coaching aspirations, he goes somewhere else. But I, I don't see those guys stepping down, and I don't see John replacing those guys either. Yeah, and I can see potentially Carowell going to the NBA as well. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe not in the, the head coaching uh, part, but potentially an assistant coach, um, maybe a front office position, scouting, things like that, because that's, right. you know, he, he does have experience in all those areas. Yep. Uh, either way, uh, you know, we started out with Jalen Johnson, uh, who Shire was the lead recruiter for. Another great get for Duke. Uh, Shire, the future for Duke is, is bright. Uh, mm -hmm. Shire, Nolan Smith, Nate James, those guys stick around. You mentioned Henderson. Uh, the summer is, is rolling on, but the, the, the future for Duke at the top is really bright. And in terms of getting players, uh, we're still rocking and rolling on the recruiting trail. Thank you to John Shire for that. This has been a fun podcast. We're gonna be we're gonna be back again. Enjoy it. Enjoy your summer. Go Duke. Go Duke.